0: good morning again. It's good to be with you all. If you want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Romans chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 31 this morning as we turn our eyes to look at the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So if you've been with us for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the five solas of the Reformation, and we've looked at salvation is revealed in Scripture alone, it's found in Christ alone, it is by grace alone, and this morning we'll look and see that it is through faith alone, that faith is the alone instrument by which God saves His people. And we've looked at the last couple weeks at where salvation is found. That it's revealed in Scripture alone, it's God's authoritative word to us, His people. It reveals to us where we can find salvation. We looked last couple weeks at the doctrine of Christ alone, that Christ is the only savior of sinners, He's the only one that is able to save us from our sins, the only mediator between God and man, and last week we looked at the great doctrine of God's grace alone. (laughs) that God is a gracious God, and even though we have sinned against Him, He comes to us, He condescends in His grace, and by His sovereign grace alone, salvation is made possible. But as we turn our eyes this week to the doctrine of faith alone, salvation by faith alone, what we're coming to is really the heart of this big question that's in the Scriptures this question that pervades from beginning to end, from Old Testament to New Testament, the big question at the heart of the Scriptures is really this. How can sinful people be made right with God? How can sinful people be made right with God? How can God remain just and yet justify sinful people? How is this possible? How can these things B, what is the mechanism by which sinful, wretched people are counted as righteous before a holy God and yet God remains just? How do believers receive the redemption that is by grace alone that Christ has purchased? How do we participate in that? How do we receive that which God has done for us in Christ? and this is not really a new question by any stretch if you go to the new testament you see the disciples and the early church wrestling with this question you see it come up during the time of the reformation martin luther wrestling how is someone justified before a holy god how is someone made right with him how can righteous how can a righteous god justify a holy people? Because there's a lot of different answers to this question. Is it by our works? Is it by our merit? Are we somehow declared righteous before a holy God because of something that we contribute, something that we do? As we kind of said last week with grace, is faith the same way? Is faith this thing that gets our, our walk with Christ going, but is it ultimately up to our faithfulness that will ultimately finally justify us or are we truly justified by faith and by faith alone the work of christ imputing his righteousness to our account and if it is by faith as daryl sort of alluded to what is faith Is it sort of this energy source by which we can kind of strengthen ourselves and make ourselves right before God? Is it this math equation that we use to kind of type in the right things and therefore we can get something from God? Is it a magic power that allows us to get things that we wouldn't normally get? Or is it the soiled hands that reach out and receive Christ? Is it those hands that take Christ as the alone object of their faith that receive and rest upon Him alone. And so as we come to this doctrine of salvation by faith alone, what we're going to see today in God's Word is that God's people are justified. They're declared righteous by faith and by faith alone, apart from works of the law. And that this truth, this doctrine, is not only found in the New Testament, but is revealed in all of God's Word, centered on the person and work of Christ, and this faith, no matter how small or weak it may be, is the alone instrument of our justification and our right standing before a holy God. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to read our passage, I'll pray for us, and then we will look to God's Word. Begin at verse 19. This is The word of the Lord. Paul says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now... it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We pray that You would take Your Word this morning and write it upon our hearts, that we would do that which is pleasing in Your sight, and by faith this morning and by faith alone, we would receive Christ and rest upon Him alone for salvation. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, many of us, I think, are very familiar with the context of the Reformation. We've talked about it briefly in all the weeks leading up to this. The context of the Reformation, the 1500s, where Martin Luther, and many of us are familiar with those stories, right? He's standing before the council. They're telling him to recant, to take back what he believes And he says, I stand here, I can do no other. My conscience is bound by the word of God. And there's these great stories that we remember. He's standing up for the doctrine of scripture alone. He's standing up for justification by faith alone. But it's passages like these that gripped Martin Luther. That as he was reading them, In the original language, he saw that the doctrine of justification by faith alone had been clouded over time. It had been covered over by merit, by works, by salvation of other means, of final justification by the works of man. And Martin Luther, as he's reading passages like Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 3, his eyes are open to see and rediscover the truth that had been confessed by the church for so long, but had long been covered up. And so we look there this morning as we seek to understand this doctrine of salvation by faith alone. And we'll look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look at justification by faith alone. What is justification? How is one made right before a holy God? We'll seek to answer that question. Next, we'll look at this doctrine revealed in all of the scriptures. What does it mean that? People are saved by faith, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. And finally, we'll look at Christ, the alone object of our faith, the object of our faith. So first we turn to justification by faith alone. If you're familiar with Romans chapters 1 through 3, Paul is laboring to show that all people are Male and female, Greek and Jew are all in sin. We read that this morning. None is righteous, no, not one. He quotes psalm after psalm seeking to show this point that all are under God's wrath and the weight and curse of the law. Whether it's the Gentiles under the law of nature, the Jews under the law of Moses, he shows that all are born in sin and under what he calls the law of Of works unable to keep it perfectly the whole world as he says held accountable to God because of their sin so that every mouth may be stopped no one can say look how righteous I am every mouth is shut before the God of the universe not only because there's a mountain of sin that separates us from a holy God but we also see in Paul the total inability of us to justify ourselves. What does he say in verse 20? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No one can stand before the triune holy God of the universe based upon works of the law and be saved. No one can stand before him and say, look what I've done, look at my works Paul is clear, by works of the law, no human being will be justified. And so the big question that we should be tracking with Paul here is, okay, if this is true, how can anyone be justified? How can anyone be made right before a holy God? Is salvation even possible if it's not based on what we do? How can sinful people be declared righteous? How can God forgive sin and remain just? How can unrighteous people not only have their sin removed, but be counted as if they were righteous? Not by their works, but by the works of another. And the answer that Paul gives is the answer of justification by faith and faith alone. And we see that in verses 21 through 20. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Apart from obedience to the law by man, the righteousness of God through faith. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works of the law, but by the law of faith. The principle of faith. That there is a righteousness that's been manifested. It's been made known apart from works of the law, but the righteousness of God that has been manifested through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That somehow sinful, unrighteous people can be declared righteous before a holy God, not on the basis of something in us, we talked last week about grace, not by something that God saw in us, by, because we were smarter, because we were wiser, but also not because of something found in us, some work that we contribute to our salvation, but only on the basis of something outside of ourselves, namely the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, what Martin Luther called an alien righteousness. I, was at a, I said that one time at a Lutheran church and someone laughed at me. I was like, this is, this is Martin Luther. <laughs> this is the alien righteousness. It's of another. Not us, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. That even though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God has made a way in Christ for sinners to be made right with Him. He has purchased redemption. He secured our justification, our right standing before God, As we've said, not based on our works or our effort, but His wrath-atoning sacrifice of Himself. Not just by suffering vicariously, but as Paul says, suffering, taking the penalty that our sin deserves. Propitiating the wrath of God that was due us for our sins. This is how Christ has secured our justification. But it's not only by passively obeying God and suffering in our place perfectly, but as we've so, said so many times, actively obeying the commands of God. Perfectly obeying every command of the law in our place. Where none was righteous, He was righteous. Where, where we had not kept the law, He perfectly kept the law and upheld it at every point. Why? Why did Christ do this? Why did He suffer? Why did He walk and stand in our place? Paul tells us in verse 26, it is so that God could be both just and the justifier. God could remain just by punishing our sin in Christ, but also the one that justifies the ungodly. And as we read this morning in our confession of faith, Justification is not something we do, but it is an act of God's free grace where our sins are pardoned and we are given the righteousness of Christ. I like to think of it like this. Sin forgiven, righteousness given. (laughs) Justification is sin forgiven and righteousness given. This is what the Reformers would call double imputation, right? The great exchange. Our sin placed on Christ the righteousness of Christ placed on us. Our sin imputed to him, his righteousness imputed to us. And there's this great quote from Martin Luther. He says this, when I discovered this truth, I was born again. (laughs) I was born again by the spirit and the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. That this This truth of justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law, is the heart of the gospel. It is the heart of what we believe as Christian. It's the heart of our salvation. But what's so amazing about this justification by faith and by faith alone is that it is not some new way of salvation. It is not some plan B that Paul and all the apostles come up with but rather, it's the only way that anyone has ever been saved. And that leads us to our second point this morning. Faith alone revealed in all of Scripture. That as we've said almost every week in this series, the Scripture is clear. Salvation has always been in God's Word alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, and through faith alone. Whether it's Abraham or Moses or David or any of the Old Testament saints, They have all been saved by faith and faith alone. And what's so amazing is this is exactly the next thing that Paul gets into in Romans chapter 4. Paul shows very clearly that it has always been by faith. This is not a new thing. It has always been salvation by faith and not by works of the law. And the reason for this is because the Jews at that time would be tempted to think that Abraham was actually saved by his works, by how righteous he was, by how holy he was. But Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That even in Genesis, Abraham has faith in God and is accounted as righteous before Him. He'll go on to talk about David who in Psalm 32 talks about the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed is the one whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And and as in verse... as. As Paul says back in chapter 3, verse 21, he says, even though this righteousness by faith alone has been manifested apart from the law, what does he say in the next part of the verse? The law and the prophets bear witness to it. They talk about this salvation that is by faith and faith alone. No one can say that there was a different gospel for Abraham, for Moses, for David, As we read this morning in Galatians chapter 3, this is a profound verse (laughs) and requires much thinking about, but Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that the Scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The the Scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham that in the promise of the offspring of the woman that would bless the nations, the offspring of Abraham that would bless the nations, Paul tells us very clearly that that offspring was Christ. So Abraham was looking to Christ. It has always been about faith in Christ. Faith either in the Christ to come or faith in the Christ who has come. Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types and shadows. Whether it's the day of atonement in Leviticus 16, where one sacrifice was led out of the city with the sins of the people placed on him. He is both that sacrifice and the one by whose blood the people were able to enter the holy place of God. Christ is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, the one whose blood was spilt so that death might pass over God's people. He's also the fiery bronze serpent in the book of Numbers that's lifted up on a wooden pole that all that looked to him might be saved from the poisonous venom of their sin, that simply by looking to the serpent lifted up on the pole, they might be spared. And I think it's in this Old Testament picture that we see the simplicity and the necessity of saving faith, the simplicity and the necessity of saving faith. And that leads us to our third point this morning, Christ, the object of our faith, Christ, the object of our faith that it is in Christ and Christ alone that we are to look in faith. He is the alone object of our faith. And as Daryl so helpfully said, it's not the size of our faith, it's not the strength of our faith, but it's rather the object of our faith that saves us. That just as the people of Israel in the book of Numbers, when they had been bitten by the venomous poison of that snake, what did they need to do? Did they need to crawl their way to the pole, bow down three times in order to be saved? Did they have to do some sort of work in order to be spared from this venomous poison? Did they have to muster up some sort of strength in, either, in order to show that they were, they were able to be saved? No, what does it say? Simply by looking. <laughs> by looking to the pole, the one lifted up, that they would be spared That not looking to themselves, but rather looking outside of themselves, that they would be saved. Cured not by their sight itself, not by the strength of their sight, but by the object of their sight. Instantly saved from certain death and judgment, not based on the strength of their faith, but based on their object of their faith. And that's why it's so important for us to maintain what the Reformers called faith as the alone instrument of our justification. Faith as the alone instrument of our justification, our right standing before God. What do I mean? I think we can be tempted in many ways to sort of see faith as a work. Faith as something we do that we contribute to our salvation. I had faith, I had this, I had that, that's why I'm saved something that we add to our salvation or something that we add to our works in order to be finally justified. Look how much faith I have. Look how great I am. But rather, what the Reformers were clear to say is that faith and faith alone is what they called the instrumental means of our justification, the thing that unites us to Christ and all His saving benefits. The free gift of God, Paul calls grace and faith a gift of God, so that no one can boast, faith is the thing that unites us to Christ and all his benefits. That when God, in his infinite grace and mercy, saves sinners, the first thing he does is effectually calls them to himself. Giving them a new heart, giving them new affections, removing their heart of stone and placing within them a heart of flesh, regenerating them. And as Ezekiel promises, putting a new spirit within them, right? This is the first thing that God does in saving sinners. But the first act of this new heart is to look to Christ in faith. The first act of this new heart of flesh is not to look to self, but it is to look outside of itself to the person and work of Christ, receiving and resting upon him alone for salvation. And I think we can get confused about this, especially in the Reformed tradition, because we can be tempted to think that somehow God forces us to believe in him, that he forces us to believe something against our will, that we didn't really want to believe the gospel, but he somehow forces us to believe. But our confession is very clear that the first act of this new heart is to come to Christ most freely. (laughs) Most freely. That the people of God come to him most freely, but then it's very careful to say, being made willing by his grace. Our wills are not bulldozed by the sovereignty of God to make us these kind of robots that don't want to do something and yet are forced to do it, but rather our wills are renewed, (laughs) resurrected, made new by the Spirit so that we can come to Christ most freely being made willing by His grace. And that this faith that God gifts us that looks to Christ, this saving confidence in the promises of God, that faith is the alone instrument. the only thing that connects us to the justifying work of Christ. It's not faith plus our works. It's not faith in and of itself. It's a uniter. It's something that connects us to the work of Christ. Not by our merit, not by our covenant faithfulness that earns justification, not by our obedience to the law that finally justifies us, but as we've said so many times, the sin-stained hands that receive Christ and Him crucified. We sang this this morning, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, Helpless. Look to thee for grace. Wretched I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. (laughs) That we come naked, not having a righteousness of our own, but needing the pure righteousness of Christ. We come helpless, unable to justify ourselves. We come running to the fountain and the throne of grace so that Christ may save us by the washing of his blood. And so we can see very clearly that faith is not some energy source. It's not a work within us that we muster up. We need to fill our faith gas tank in order to accomplish salvation. It's not something we muster up in order to earn God's favor, to work miracles, to heal people. But it is God's free gift that he gives to us in the covenant of grace. Not an introspective looking to ourselves, do I have enough faith? Is my faith strong enough? But an extrospective looking outside of ourselves to the finished work of Christ as the object of our faith. As one person said, for every look to ourselves, we need to take 10 looks to Christ. <laughs> we should examine ourselves, we should see whether we're in the faith, but for every look to ourselves, We need to take ten looks to Christ and see His perfect righteousness for us. And so as we begin to conclude and contemplate what does this doctrine mean for us today, as we did last week, we need to look and see that there are many challenges to this doctrine. And many of these challenges are very subtle in their approach. Whether it's the Judaizers of the apostolic era, the Pelagians of the early church, the Roman Catholic church during the Protestant Reformation, or in our modern day, the errors of the new perspective on Paul and federal vision. There has always been challenges to the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. And all of these challenges and all these distortions of the gospel either seek to add works to faith or they seek to redefine faith essentially into faithfulness, into how faithful we are. And are many challenges to, these, to this truth, and none of these are new. And we saw it in our, in our confession of um, our assurance of pardon this morning. The Judaizers of Paul days sought to add circumcision and works of the law to righteousness by faith alone saying we need to go back to the shadows. It's okay for you to have Christ. It's even okay for you to have faith, but you need to add to your faith works of the law, circumcision, going back to the shadows, not to the substance of the shadows that is Christ. And Paul says, he's very clear in Galatians 1, that this is tantamount to another gospel. He, he exhorts them, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. For we have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed that this is a very serious warning to not mingle with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luther saw this adding of works and merit to faith, and he said this undermines the very grace of God in the gospel. And there's many modern challenges in our day. I mentioned some. You might not know what they are. Federal vision or the new perspective on Paul. All of these seek to redefine faith, to make it faithfulness, So that you can look them in the face and they'll say, I believe in salvation by faith. And you ask them, what is faith? And they say, well, it's faithfulness to God's covenant. That's how you are justified, finally. And we would say that that is not true. (laughs) That it is by faith and faith alone. The soiled hands receiving Christ, not the soiled hands somehow working their way up to God by covenant faithfulness. And even though maybe you're not familiar with those errors, I think many of us are familiar with that kind of teaching that has worked its way into many churches, right? That very subtly, churches, even Bible-believing churches, can tend to preach in this way. Yes, you're saved by faith alone. We would all agree on that. But every sermon ends up sounding like a need to question your salvation. Every sermon ends up sounding like You can have no assurance of your faith. You can have no hope that you're saved because will you make it to the end? Will you be able to persevere? Will you have enough faith? And all of these, in some way or another, tend to place the salvation on our shoulders, undermining our assurance. We can never know if we're going to be finally saved. Can I really truly have any assurance? Will my works be enough? Will my faithfulness be sufficient? They all lead to these kinds of questions. But we've seen this morning that the object of our faith, the finished work of Christ alone, is the very foundation of our assurance. That's how we can be assured of our salvation. That if justification is based on any other thing besides the finished work of Christ, if it's based on our obedience or our faithfulness, we're doomed, (laughs) we're lost, we have no hope, But if it's based on the faithfulness of Christ, who was perfectly faithful, then we have a true lasting hope. Many will seek to say assurance is a negative thing, that it's a bad thing, that we shouldn't seek after assurance. But our confession is clear, and scripture is clear. John says in 1 John 5, I've written these things so that you might know that you have eternal life. And what we're really saying each week in our assurance of pardon is what we're saying is if your faith is in Christ and in Christ alone, you can be assured that your sin is forgiven. You can know that you have eternal life and you can rest in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. But I think for some of us this morning, what we might be most tempted to think is, "Kindle, I agree with you Justification is by faith alone, wholeheartedly. It's all in Christ. It's all on Him. It's only by faith and faith alone. But sanctification is somehow up to us. I might be justified before a holy God, but sanctification is not by faith and faith alone. The Spirit might have begun a good work in us, but it's ultimately up to us to complete that work and finish our sanctification by our works. And this is the same struggle that faced the Galatians. And we read this this morning in Galatians chapter 3. That their gaze was charmed. It was taken off of Christ. And Paul calls them bewitched. <laughs> that they were bewitched. They were tricked into looking to something other than Christ. Not only for their justification, but for their sanctification. He says, "O foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then he goes on to say, having begun by the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? The Spirit began this work in you. Do you think it's ultimately by your flesh that it's going to be completed? And the answer is no. (laughs) That what was received by faith is also perfected by faith. That the Spirit not only justifies God's people, but leads them and sanctifies them in the work of godliness. And that even though we are saved by faith alone, our confession is clear, this faith is never alone. It's an accompanied by all the saving graces of God that this is no dead faith, but works by love, that we can uphold both Romans and James. We, we, don't have to be, we don't have to feel like there's a contradiction there. Our faith is what saves us, but our faith is never alone. It's accompanied with all the saving graces of God. Faith is the alone instrument of our salvation. Our works are the fruit and evidence of God's justification, not the other way around. Sometimes in our walk, our faith can feel very small. It can feel hard to see, difficult. It can be clouded by our sin. Satan can minimize our fruit and say, you're not really growing in the faith. You're not really growing in godliness. You're not really trusting in Christ. But as we come each week, we're reminded that the object of our faith is not ourselves. It's not our works. It's not our obedience. The object of our faith is Christ. And if our faith is in him, we will not be put to shame. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for sending him in the fullness of time to do everything that we could not. And it is by faith and faith alone that we are saved, justified before a holy God, counted as if we had never sinned and counted as if we had always done that which is righteous. This is an amazing thing to contemplate and we are humbled this morning before your mercy and grace to us, your undeserved people. And so as we go through this Christian life and as we seek to fight our sin and as we seek to grow in holiness, help us this morning to know that we are not only justified by faith, but sanctified by faith and by the power of the Spirit. Help us not to rest in our works or our ability to perfectly fight our sin, but help us to rest in the finished work of Christ, looking to him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who not only began the work of salvation, but will see it to completion, who will lose none out of his hands, the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, who is able to keep us to the very end by faith alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.